Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Hi, welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and I'm your host. And today I am talking about one of my favorite or least favorite, I'm not really sure, topics of downtime. Downtime in the classroom is not your friend. That's a quote from a colleague of mine that I repeat frequently, and you may have heard me say it before. And this focus on keeping students engaged throughout the day is really the driving force behind all the elements that I talk about in the podcast, on the blog, in my books about setting up the classroom. And the reason for that is that when students are not actively engaged, we see more challenging behavior and we lose learning time. And that's true for any classroom but it's particularly true in special education. Many of our students struggle with engaging themselves in activities without direction. And this year in 2020, 2021 is so unusual that I know that many of our routines have been affected. And one of the challenges has been how to keep students engaged in activities throughout the day. This is an issue in any type of year and any type of classroom, but it may be more of a challenge to figure out how to prevent it in this year's situations. So this episode focuses on three ways that you can create routines and strategies in the classroom to support engagement in learning and reduce downtime. I'm going to start by talking about what downtime is because no, I don't think that teachers make a decision to have downtime in their classroom. I don't typically hear educators say, well, it would be nice to take a little rest right now and let the kids do whatever they want. Uh, So I'm going to talk about how it does happen in our classroom and how we can prevent it. And then I've got three ways that you can use to prevent the downtime in your classroom that can lead you to more challenging behavior. Now, before I get started, you can find all of the links and the information about this episode at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 51. Uh, You will also find a link there to a free webinar that you can take anytime you want on other ways to prevent challenging behavior. And I've got more ways to prevent that downtime in that webinar, as well as lots of other different ways. So if that's a struggle for you this year, that is a great resource. So that link will be in the post as well. So now let's get started. So I want to talk about what downtime in the classroom means. I know that sounds like a silly question, what downtime is, but I think it deserves a little discussion because as I said earlier, I don't believe that teachers set out to have downtime in their classroom, but downtime sneaks in when we least expect it. So consider these examples. You walk with your students to specials and the specials teacher isn't ready, so they have to wait. That's downtime. Staff has to deal with the challenging behavior of one student and the rest of the class may get left on their own. That's downtime. 
All the students don't arrive at the same time each morning, so there's waiting required before you can get started. Students have to wait for the bus to come before they leave the classroom, and they come at all different times, so that's downtime. If you're teaching online and in the classroom at the same time, downtime can occur when the online students have technical issues. The same thing can happen when you're teaching at a distance and you have to provide support for one student while you're having a group lesson online. So you can see that downtime is rarely something that we plan. Most frequently, it's not planned. And we all know that things come up and sometimes downtime is unavoidable. But the key is to plan for a backup plan to have on hand when it's needed. So here are three ways that you can be prepared and prevent downtime in the classroom. Uh, Those are your backup plans that you can pull out when needed. We can plan our days to try to prevent gaps in activities with some of these strategies, but you can also have these tools on hand to pull out when they're needed for those unexpected times when downtime or waiting creeps in without your ability to prevent it. My first tip is one that relates to scheduling. It's really important when we create our schedule to be proactive. That means thinking about the things that cause wait time or downtime in the classroom. So common times for this are during transitions, particularly those involving arrival and departure from the classroom itself. And now in fall 2020, when you have to deal with other distractions like distance students with difficulty accessing the session while you have live students or online students waiting. For planned times that are going to happen regularly in the classroom, it really pays to schedule activities that will fill the gaps for the students more independently. I like to schedule in an activity that I call table tasks into those times. Essentially, table tasks are using visual motor task boxes similar to those that we use during independent work. And there are multiple advantages to using visual motor tasks to fill your wait time. One is that they're likely to be tasks that students can do more independently, so they need less supervision, and that frees up your staff to deal with whatever else is going on. Visual motor tasks also don't require a listener or a partner, as a language task might, so that frees up the staff. And these are great times also to see what tasks the students can complete independently that could be put into their independent work systems. And finally, many of our students really like these types of activities because they aren't as language-oriented challenging, although you can have table tasks that are receptive language-oriented. And so they're more likely to engage with them on their own. So some characteristics of the types of tasks that I include in table tasks are that they do not require an adult partner in order for them to be completed. They don't have to be tasks that the student is completely independent with, but when you're trying to fill in a time when students have to wait to start or end an activity, times that are frequently downtime in the classroom, there are often fewer adults to help. And that means that you want to choose tasks that the student can complete with less supervision to make it successful. So table tasks might include put-in tasks, assembly tasks, file folders, puzzles, receptive language worksheets, and more. And I have links to all of those different things. So if you're not familiar with put-in tasks, for instance, you can go to autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 51. 
and you'll find links to all different posts I've written about those materials. Another option that are part of the same genre as table tasks are to use your independent work systems as a way to fill in unavoidable gaps in the schedule. If you set your independent work system up so that any staff can set it up, and I've got a link to that in the post as well of how to do that, you can send students over to a workstation when you need them to wait for something. And this gives them an extra chance to practice working independently, and it allows you to deal with whatever is causing the need for the students to wait. What if you're teaching online? You might want to try my digital independent work systems as a way to direct your students to structured work to fill the time. Uh, They are useful if you're teaching online and waiting for other students to complete their work, or if you're teaching in a hybrid and something happens in the classroom that puts the distance students ahead in finishing their work. And I'll make sure that link goes in the blog post as well. Tip number two is to use fidgets and busy boxes. Now, those don't always have to be, they sound very young, but they don't have to be just for younger students. Table tasks are great when the students are in class, particularly when you plan for that potential downtime. But what about when you're in the hallway waiting for the bathroom or waiting for the last specials class to finish? That's where fidgets and busy boxes can come in really handy. When I set up a classroom for students and for adults, I always want to make sure that I have activities in my imaginary back pocket to fill in time. I once worked with a colleague in a preschool classroom who could pull a beanbag out of his pocket and engage all 20 preschool students for 20 minutes during a crisis. If you've ever taught preschool, you know how hard that is. It was an invaluable skill. Similarly, I like having a go-to box of materials that I can pull out to keep students' hands and minds engaged. And sometimes it's really helpful to take this box of materials along with you to other areas of the school if you're in the school building. So let's talk for a minute about what fidgets and busy boxes are. They can be very similar to table tasks, but often they include toys and short activities students' hands engage with. Sometimes they have a sensory property, like a glow stick or a glitter wand. Other times they may simply be something the students like to do. They can also include things like books that students like to look at, or it could include tablets and phones that students can engage with, as most of us do when we're waiting in line. If you're working in distance learning, you could have key links for Google Slides or Boom Cards activities for the students to engage with. You could also send home physical materials in a physical fidget box for the parents to keep close to the learning area that you could cue a student to engage with while they're waiting. Now, there are several key elements to making fidgets and busy boxes work for reducing downtime in the classroom. First, curate your collection of items to meet the individual needs of your students. In this time of socially distanced learning, you might have a busy box in each student's individual area. It might just include the items that that student needs to keep him or her engaged. And that avoids having students share items, which means less sanitation in the classroom and more regular access to the tools that they need to engage themselves. Second, you want to make sure that you've got the items where you need them. So if you leave the room, have a helper role who is responsible for picking up the box or boxes to carry with them to the next activity. Bonus points for the helper role is it keeps the students' hands engaged and probably less likely to tear down the bulletin board pictures in the hall. 
For instance, assign a job to the student who needs to carry the box to the cafeteria for students who finish lunch early. Or if you're managing, if managing that role is too cumbersome with everything else that's going on in a transition, which makes perfect sense, see if you could store a box or two in the cafeteria so it's always there when you need it. Finally, you will likely need to teach the students to engage with the items in the busy boxes. This is especially true if you work with older students who have limited leisure skills. Think about what typical students their age engage engage with when they're waiting. Often, it's their phone. Many times I actually set a goal for a student in junior high or high school to engage with texting games and other activities on their phone because they don't learn that naturally the way that typical students do. And then you can put a phone or a tablet in the busy box so you have it when it's needed. My third tip is to stress the importance of making sure activities in the classroom and online are set up before the students arrive at that task. This often means establishing in your zoning plan who is responsible for setting up the activity before the students start a transition. So if your class is at music, who on your zoning plan sets up your group time before the students get back to class? Similarly, if your students are in the cafeteria, who goes back a little early to the classroom to set up for art, check that the schedules are right, and make sure that all the art materials are out and accessible? Along these lines, don't forget that it doesn't always have to be an adult, or at least not an adult alone, who makes sure that things get set up. Consider assigning a student a regular job of setting up activities. They could accompany the staff member to go back to the classroom early to set up the next activity. If you have a student who's frequently an early finisher, that student is a great candidate to have a job before the next activity starts. Have him set up or help set up the next activity so it's ready for the next part of the class. In a socially distanced classroom, you could have him set up the teacher's materials or set up his own materials at his desk. Just give him a checklist so that he can follow it and know what to do. So what does setting this all up ahead of time look like in distance learning? Making sure that your digital classroom is set up before your students arrive is just as important in digital and distance learning as it is in a physical classroom. Before you sign on and start the class, make sure your visuals are ready and shared, that your schedule is up for the students to access, and that you're ready to start the lesson as soon as they are all logged in. Also, think about what happens while your students wait for the other students to be let in from the waiting room or get logged on. Perhaps you have a paraprofessional working with you who can be assigned to do a quick interactive check-in while you admit all the students as they log on. Or you could switch those roles and have her check them in, have her let them in, and you check in with all of them. If you don't have a professional working with you, think about a student helper role. That student could take attendance, do a simple check-in for students to check in with a picture or in the chat to indicate that they're present, or be in charge of leading a quick exercise activity during that waiting time. So there's many ways that you can reduce downtime in the classroom, and they certainly aren't limited to these three ideas. However, there are a couple of key components that you probably heard throughout this episode. First, think about how to prevent downtime ahead of time. It might mean arranging activities in the schedule in a certain way, like with 
more table tasks. Or it could be deciding whether an adult or a student helper can handle a setting up for the next activity, like in number three. The more you think about establishing routines for filling those inevitable wait times, the less thinking you have to do on the fly. And that means you'll experience less decision fatigue, be less tired, and have more time to focus on engaging with the students. Second, Before I get comments about this, yes, it is important to teach students how to handle downtime. I am not saying that downtime is completely without merit in a classroom, but it is if we don't have the teaching component. Downtime and idle time in most classrooms are often the time that typical students learn to manage their time and keep themselves engaged. However, We can't just assume that our students know how to do that. Most of them will need some explicit instruction. Hence why we want to have a choice time and teach leisure skills, as well as teaching students how to engage with books, puzzles, phones, and other things to fill that downtime. And finally, the primary message is that downtime in the classroom is not your friend. It does very little for you other than create challenging behaviors from students who have difficulty waiting. And yes, we do need to teach our students to wait. And I have a link to a post that describes how you can teach waiting as well. But in the end, downtime will happen. And you will see more challenging behavior if your students are not engaged. So therefore, your classroom, in whatever format it's taking at the moment, will run more smoothly if you have strategies in place to prevent and reduce downtime. So those are my thoughts. I would love to hear more from you in our free Facebook group. If you're an educator, hop over to specialeducatorsconnection.com and share that with us. And if you are interested in learning more ways to set up your classroom to reduce problem behavior and keep students engaged, we have a whole course on that in the Special Educator Academy. And you can find more about that at specialeducatoracademy.com. Thanks so much for listening. I know this is a really tough time. I appreciate your time. I hope that these podcasts have been helpful for you. I love to hear from you in whatever way works for you. And I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and come back next week for another episode. Thanks. Thanks.